Welcome to episode 90. Today, I share with you all the things that I wish I had learned on my first day on the job as a language specialist. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. For eight years, I had the privilege of being a language specialist, or in our field, we call it EAL, or English as an additional language. I really never had an orientation into this job, which is incredibly highly complex. I don't remember the first day when I first became a language specialist. I moved from a content teacher position where I just taught Lang and literature to now planning with teachers, to now having a group of just language language students, and then being in rooms with as content teachers were delivering content. It was so different for me. To say that I was lost is an understatement. That's why in this episode, I share with you four of the components, the main components of a job of a language specialist. Scheduling, co-planning, co-teaching, and teaching language classes. These are all the things that I wish I had learned instead of having to figure them out throughout the years. There's a blog post that accompanies this podcast. If you'd like to read the blog post, please go to my website. The link to the blog post will also be in the show notes. Now, on to today's podcast. I've been a language specialist for the past eight years. Six years in the secondary school and two years in the elementary school. However, in each of these divisions, I never had an orientation for my specific role, which consisted of schedule making, co-planning, co-teaching, and running targeted language classes. I only had a general orientation to the school, like all the new hires. Therefore, I was left to figure things out. It was definitely akin to jumping in and learning to swim. When I moved to the elementary school from a secondary school, it felt like I was in a completely new world. But looking back at it now, there are some similarities with teaching language learners in the secondary school. The goal of this episode is to provide you an orientation, which I never had, to the role of a language specialist. If you're a language specialist moving between divisions, this might be helpful to you as well. So the first aspect of our job is scheduling. In both places, I received my beautiful schedule that was mostly blank. I was assigned a few language classes, but everything else was empty. So my first task was to identify how many content blocks consist of a full-time employee. A contact block means the time that I'm teaching students and the time that I'm co-playing with colleagues or co-teaching with colleagues. The remaining was reserved for personal planning time or admissions testing. This is what scheduling in the elementary school looks like. Since I work as a member of a grade level team, 
we co-constructed my schedule as a team together. We did this in the second year and it changed my relationship with my teachers dramatically because I had time to co-plan with them, not like the first year. Each teacher would be given a set number of blocks during the 10-day cycle. The number changed based on how many language learners were in a particular class. I made sure to ask that one of the allotted days in the 10-day cycle be given to co-planning with each teacher individually. I also made sure to add grade-level team meetings as one of my co-planning days so I could plan with the entire team. Yes, this means that I have less prep time than other teachers, and I chose that because I wanted to make sure I had more time to co-plan. So I used my personal prep time, some of it, as co-planning time. That's how important it was for me. At the secondary school, scheduling looks like this. Each year, I was assigned a grade level to support, or several. For example, when I was assigned to work with grades 6, 7, and 8, my first priority was to provide sheltered instruction support in social studies and science to those grades. I first asked to meet with the science and social studies teacher separately. When I met with the social studies teacher, for example, we identified a time when they had common planning time as a department. I made that one of my co-planning days because it would maximize my time by meeting with all the social studies teacher that taught grade six at the same time, instead of individually meeting with them. For example, when I supported grade seven and grade eight social studies, I asked the grade seven, grade eight social studies teacher to find a time where they both were there and they had a free time so that they would meet together and I would come to the meeting and I would listen to them and then so they would plan and then I would add strategies or suggest strategies or offer to scaffold instructions or I would offer to co-construct a document with them. So in this way, they were already in the mindset of co-planning anyways with each other and I just added myself to that. So they didn't think, ugh, I have to co-plan with another person that's not really connected to my content. They were already co-planning together as colleagues in the same department. I just inserted and added myself there. That was like the ninja trick. I did the same thing for science. I had two teachers who taught grade six and grade seven. And so I made sure I asked them to, hey, can you please find a time where both of you are free? I will add myself to that co-planning time. And then we just co-planned. We did the same thing. I figured out their content. I thought about the final assessments. I offered to restructure, reformat the assessments as needed. I looked at the rubric. I offered ways to differentiate. But they were already coming to the meeting with a co-planning mindset that they were already going to plan. And I wasn't something that they had to add to their planning time. It was already part of it. Make sure when you schedule with your secondary teachers that you identify days that you can co-teach with them or offer in-class support which means you go in to support kids even though you haven't had a chance to plan that specific lesson. I recommend co-constructing the schedule with your colleagues instead of creating your schedule in isolation. This ensures that there was planning time and co-creating the schedule also jump-started our collaborative relationship from the start of the year. Try not to have too many days in between your co-teaching and co-planning days because you will lose the flow of the collaboration and the sequence of the lessons. My best co-teaching experience was when I was always in the morning assigned to this particular teacher and I had three days out of the week I was with her. So she knew 
that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, I was always with her from 8.05 to 9.20. This made it easy for her to plan and for us to think about, okay, what can I do because I'm always coming to her section at this time. So therefore, she could plan for those days. So the second aspect of our job is co-planning. I co-planned very differently in each division. In the elementary school, I doubled as a literacy coach, provided sheltered instruction, and co-taught to a large degree, all students. In the secondary school, it was strictly sheltered instruction support. So co-planning changed based on the division. Let's look at the elementary school co-planning. Because elementary school requires less content expertise, for example, I don't have to teach how to balance a chemical equation in fifth grade. And even if I did, I didn't know how. I was able to co-plan at the unit level where we looked at the enduring understanding the essential questions, the guiding questions in the assessment. This helped as I grew to understand the unit from a bird's eye level. We co-planned to integrate social studies, science, and English. My role was to scaffold the language, the lessons, and the assessments for the interdisciplinary units. Because I was able to co-teach the content in elementary school, I often co-planned the individual lessons with my co-teacher. But for secondary school, they look really different. Because I lack the depth of understanding of middle school and high school social studies and science content, my planning focused on the assessment mainly, never the unit planning level where we looked at the big questions and doing understanding or guiding questions. I worked to co-format the assessments so they would not be reading tests and to build in scaffolds. For projects, we co-planned on scaffolding the instructions and differentiating the tasks. At times, we did co-plan the lesson level when I led a lesson on reading strategies or writing with content-specific language or facilitating a debate to process a video or an article. Whenever there was a lesson that required a specific literacy skill, I offered my services to co-teach that lesson. Since co-planning leads to effective co-teaching, co-planning time is a must. I didn't realize the different things you could do during co-planning. You can co-assess and co-reflect as well in addition to co-planning. The collaborative instructional cycle, which consists of co-planning, co-teaching, co-assessing, co-reflecting, comes from Andrew Hagensfeld and Maria Duff. Co-planning looks different if you're familiar with the content. Even if you don't have content-specific expertise, you can still be instrumental co-planning assessments and projects. The goal of co-planning should be providing students with equitable access to challenging, grade-level content by improving teacher clarity. The more you co-plan, the more you can possibly co-teach and make learning a more successful and an equitable experience for language learners. Lastly, because co-planning time is limited and scarce, make sure to plan the big-ticket items such as assessments, projects, unit plans, and rubrics instead of low-key items such as a one-time graphic organizer, a bulletin board, or just tomorrow's lesson. When I spent a period co-planning an assessment with my secondary school teachers, that hour of co-planning supported students for the rest of the unit. So the first two components of my work as a language specialist is scheduling, co-planning, and the next one is co-teaching. There was significantly more co-teaching in the elementary school as the content did not require a graduate degree to understand a specific discipline. However, co-teaching was still possible in the secondary schools. 
So let's look at the elementary school first. Because of co-planning and because I did not require content expertise, I was able to co-teach many of the English, social studies, and even the science lessons. When I taught, I usually started off teaching the entire class before breaking into smaller groups. Since my teachers and I co-planned the literacy lessons, I would teach the same lesson to different homeroom classes. I also co-taught more consistently in the elementary school than the secondary school, as I assumed the literacy coach position for the entire grade. So what does co-teaching look like in the secondary school? Most of the time, I provided sheltered instruction support while students engage in learning experiences. We use two models the most, circuit and reinforced co-teaching. In circuit teaching, it involves me and my co-teacher walking around and supporting all students. My co-teacher would look for the content and I would look for the way language is used. Reinforced co-teaching involved me providing small group instruction to students and not just language learners as they work to apply the content taught by the content teacher. At times, reinforced teaching looks like reteaching the lesson because students didn't understand. On very specific days, I would lead a whole class mini lesson, usually related to literacy skills required to complete the assessment. The content was always taught by the content expert, which makes sense. And I supported students' comprehension and application of the content. And my job was to work with all students then in that case. The reasoning is because all students needed to know how to use the language of science, the language of music, the language of social studies, the language of art. No one is born knowing that. My job was to support the content teacher in teaching content-specific language. I wish I was told that co-teaching, like co-planning, is largely based on my familiarity with the content. Even though I co-taught more in the elementary school, there were still many ways to co-teach in the secondary content classes, though I wasn't an expert in the content. Co-teaching isn't a place in the room. It's the service we provide in that room. Therefore, co-teaching can mean working with small groups, circulating the room, reinforcing a concept taught by the content teacher in addition to standing up at the front of the room. So the last aspect of my language specialist role are the targeted language classes. So I didn't break them up into two divisions, elementary or secondary school, because they look very similar. So my language lessons look like this. The similarity is that I use the content from social studies or science as a context to develop students' literacy and language skills. This means planning thematically similar units by teaching a different aspect of the content. My literacy development class also served to make social studies and science content more comprehensible. For example, in fifth grade, when we had a unit on poverty, the fifth grade teachers agreed on specific countries that we're going to cover to talk about poverty. I made sure that in my language classes, I focus on different countries that they weren't going to cover to teach the concept of poverty, but also to develop their reading and writing and speaking listening skills. For example, in the eighth grade, when the social studies teacher had a unit on migration and immigration, she focused on particular countries and I didn't use those contexts, but yet we were focused on the same concept of migration and immigration, as well as developing students' literacy skills. So the elements of my targeted language classes consisted of independent reading, close reading of different genres, co-constructing of different types of writing, tier two academic vocabulary, grammar and mechanical awareness. 
So we went a lot slower than the social studies and science teacher did, which was fine because I got to slow down and really help them develop their literacy skills. So the four components of a language specialist role is scheduling, co-planning, co-teaching, and language classes. I knew my role was going to be different than my usual role as a literature teacher because I did not know that my role was so complex and nuanced. I didn't realize how much collaborating I had to do with other teachers and that there were specific things I had to do when collaborating, such as co-planning, co-teaching, co-assessing, co-reflecting. I just thought I had to be in the content classes and help kids understand the content. Now I realize that our work as a language specialist must be an intentional one and that our work is deeply collaborative. I hope that these strategies keep you afloat as you navigate your role while collaborating with others. It really shows how highly skilled we are and how valuable we are to the school community. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things at work and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now, onto our recap. I knew my role as a language specialist would be different than that of being a Lang and Lit teacher, but I didn't realize that it would be this complex and this highly specialized. I didn't realize how much collaborating I had to do with content teachers and the skills that were needed to collaborate effectively. I didn't know that there was a whole cycle of teacher collaboration, such as co-planning, co-teaching, co-assessing, and co-reflecting. I thought my job was simply to show up and work with students in the content classes. Now I realize that our work as language specialists must be intentional and full of proactive planning and engagement with students and teachers alike. I hope these strategies help you thrive in your role as a language specialist as you collaborate with others on behalf of language learners. Take pride in the work that you do because it is an incredibly difficult, intellectually challenging, emotionally draining, yet emotionally rewarding experience. I often end my presentations with Pablo Picasso's quote. He said, the purpose of life is to find your gift and the purpose of the gift is to give it away. I do not think personally that we are, we just enter a profession of teaching. And specifically, we don't just enter as language specialists. We have a gift as language specialists. Continue to give it away to your colleagues, to your students, to their families, to the community. Your schools are so lucky to have you. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, 
yellow or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine.